a suit And good morning again, everybody. Good to see everybody out this morning. And if you're following us on YouTube or logging into Facebook, I want to welcome you out, uh, welcome you this morning, and invite you also to be with us in person anytime that you can. Uh, let's see here. Lisa and Ernie looks like they have children's church, so 12 and under for that. And as those kids are going over, if you want to go ahead and turn in your hymnals, number 359 uh, at the cross. Uh, we will roll it. 358. Mm. Three, we'll use 359 at the cross. How's that? <laughs> and we'll use the first and second verse of that. So you have to get your songbooks out because I don't think we've got that on our, on our uh, song list up there today in the PowerPoint. But nonetheless, uh, we'll get by. All righty. Good to see everybody out this morning. Always a privilege for me to share in God's Word with you. And and certainly uh, today is no different. Uh, for those logging in to Facebook and YouTube, you might notice, I'm not sure what you can see on the screen, but it looks a little different up here. We're preparing for Vacation Bible School. If, if you have kids or grandkids or neighbor kids that would like to attend, uh, certainly you can contact us on our Facebook page, pre-register for that, or ask for about any info. We'd be happy to have your kids here with us uh, beginning tomorrow. So certainly encourage you to do that. Well, there's a lot of talk, isn't there, on the news. We, uh, we investigations, lawsuits, the right to abortions. we still making the headlines. I heard the vice president say this past week, I believe it was, about abortion, that there's nothing about this issue that would require anyone to abandon their faith. Well, I disagree with her. And that's fine that she and I hold two differing opinions we're allowed to do that we're allowed to have differing opinions but I will make this point she nor anyone else does not get to define what the truth of the scripture says for me and tell me whether I would have to abandon my faith or not to support the issue and that's what we have to understand and we have to remind ourselves and especially our young people daily about the truth and the integrity of the Bible because the slowly, and if you've heard me preach over the course of the years, and you've seen me or heard me use the example that the devil has not been assaulting the truth of the scriptures, not just in the United States, but globally, he doesn't do that with a punch to the nose. He's done that with a tap on the shoulder. And it is slowly, slowly, ever so slowly changing. I want this morning to look at truth and integrity and how that we as Christians have to handle it according to God's word. Not according to my opinion, not according to, uh, to some statement that someone's written down, but according to what God's word says in the scriptures. And I want you to turn, if you will, over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 where Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he's encouraging them and it makes me wonder if they weren't facing some of the same issues that we face today. And I, we know that there's nothing new under the sun, according to what Solomon says. There's nothing new to man, uh, according to his writings as well. So I would be comfortable in saying that they probably were facing some of those same issues then. 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Well, we see in these few short scriptures here that what we can take ourselves as Christians today, how that we should handle or hold to the truth. That's the, the title of this morning's uh, sermon, is hold to the truth. And that's what we must do, and even I think so, uh, not that we shouldn't have ever held to the truth of God's word, but we need to, to stand firm on what God's word says because it is being diluted. It's being changed. If you'll note up here at the, the slide, I hope everybody can see that. Most people don't really want the truth. They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. Now, that's, that's a true fact, I think, a true statement. That's not from the scriptures, but I think that we can see evidence of that is most people really not interested in the truth, and we know that there is only one truth, and that's God's word. But they want assurance that what they believe is the truth, and the world tells them today what? Whatever you say is truth for you is truth. And that's not what the scriptures tell us. It's contrary, actually, to God's word. Let's look first thing uh, about this wonderful thing that we have, the truth of God's word, as we look at what he's writing here to the church at Thessalonica. First, as handling the truth or holding on to the truth, we must receive and accept the word. That's what he says in verse 13, isn't it? Let's look at it again. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Why? Because when you received the word of God, which you heard in us, you received it not as the word of men, but as in the truth, the word of God. They received that word, and we must receive it. And when I say receive it, you must believe that it is the word of God. You must believe it is 100% true, and you must believe that it applies to you. And if we don't do that, then this truth, this book of truth, will have no effect in our lives. I've got some real, I won't say interesting because they're not interesting, some really sad figures here in just a minute that I was really kind of shocked and, and disappointed but not surprised, if that makes any sense to you. Because many times people will hear but never accept. This is true today with God's word. People hear and accept only what they want to apply, what makes things convenient. 
Even make up your own truth. That's the common thing today. 22, a 2022 Gallup poll reported that 20% of Americans believe the Bible is the literal word of God and should be interpreted accordingly. 20%. That is down from 25% in 2017. 25% of Americans believe that just a few short years ago, five years ago. Now only 20% of Americans believe that. So we, if we think that there's no assault on God's word or people are not turning from the truth of God's word, we, we, we fool ourselves. Now that's a record low. 29% of Americans consider, this, this bothered me, 29% of Americans consider the Bible to be an ancient book of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. 29%. And what bothered me even more than that, 16% of Christians believe the same thing. 16% of people in this nation who profess being a Christian believe that the Bible is a book of fables that was written by man or by men. So I just ask yourself, how does that set with you? That bothers me. That concerns me. That makes me want to try whatever way that I can and what efforts I can is to, to have people to believe that I believe the Bible's true and by the way I live my life and conduct myself. And it would be something that they would want to, to investigate and understand as well. And to handle the truth properly, we have to receive all of that word, even the portions that we may not like, even the things that we have a hard time with, personally, okay? Those are, there's, there's areas in the Bible that, that's difficult to swallow sometimes. I get it. But we still have to accept it as truth, and we have to abide by that, whether we agree with it or not. And to accept only part of it is the same as accepting none of it. We understand that. We understand that if we accept only a portion of the scriptures as being true, it's the same as accepting none of it. We place ourselves above God. We delete out part of his word. We cannot assume the role as an editor of the Bible. People just don't believe the Bible anymore. And that's the sad thing about it. They don't believe God's word is true. They don't believe what Jesus did, why Jesus had to come here. And that's what we go right along with this. If you continue in verse 13, accepting his word coming from God. You receive not his word of men, but as in, in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Society today, they don't believe that, I don't think. Paul in the church at Thessalonica, he says here they accepted it to be the word inspired by God. And if we look at it as being word for men, then how can we be sure that it's truth? How can we be sure that it's truth? Even omissions come through sometimes or errors in the printing. As you, If you go back and kind of research the, the Bible, even the King James Bible, there were some editions that were printed that had words omitted in it or change. Somebody left out an S in one of them. It was a he-she Bible, they call it. Called Ruth a he instead of a she. And this was several hundred years ago that this happened. 
So there are mistakes that are, are printed in the Bible that are man's fault, but when it comes to what the Bible tells us, there is no error because it is from the Word of God. Like I said last week, if you recall, when a mainline church will openly make a statement that says that they cannot define what a woman is because it was too sensitive an issue, that church has abandoned the truth. That's as simple as it gets. They've abandoned the truth of God's word. Paul's testimony never changed, did it? Have you ever noticed as you go through the Gospels, the letters that Paul wrote, whenever he was encouraging people, did it ever change? Did he ever say anything different? Another Savior, another path to salvation, another thing that Jesus did or didn't do? His message never changed. What can we, have we learned or do we know about man's message? It's ever-changing, isn't it? It suits the situation that they're in. You can see that in politics. Politician, according to the group that he's speaking to, their message will change. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ, never changes. It's always consistent. Never a difference. Just like if we were standing out front here, at when we dismiss and, and we heard tire squealing and, and 10 people turned and witnessed a car accident, you would have 10 different versions of what happened. Now, they may not be wildly different, but they would be a little different in their telling. God's word is never different. And it's not, I'm not talking about versions of the Bible here. But think about how many versions of the truth are there. One. One version of the truth, and that's the gospel. It's been around for almost, well, a little over nearly 2,000 years now because it was the inspired word of God. If it was an inspired word of God and if people that wrote these translations that we, we use today so faithfully, and I'm not picking out one better than the other. You could do your research. There's about five translations that, that are considered very biblically ancient texts, I'm saying, accurate. If it wasn't that the case, then man would be tinkering with it and it wouldn't be trustworthy. So that's what we have to understand. This has come from God and it has remained to be from God. So we have to hear the word and accept the word as being from God himself. And then we see that Paul encourages them at the end of verse 13, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We must let God's word work in us. How are we doing that? Have you ever asked yourself that? You ever asked yourself, how's God's working word working in me? And that's from the Greek word uh, energeko which means a mighty work, a mighty work. So how is God's word doing a mighty work in you as a believer? Well, I'd like for you to think on that, not just for today, but throughout the course of the coming week. Imagine what the word, the living gospel. Now here, we can imagine this group of believers at Thessalonica was probably living out the gospel. They were probably spreading the gospel. They were probably 
tending to the orphans and the widows, just as the gospel calls for us to do. They were worshiping God in spirit and in, do you remember, truth. And Paul here is commending them for that. They were allowing God's work to make a visible change in their life. And it affected people around them. Think about that. Ask yourself, can, I, can people see a visible change in my life since I accepted Christ as my Savior? There's a good question to ask yourself. Can people see a visible change in my life because of Jesus? Now, I would hope everybody that is a Christian could say yes. Yes, they have. Yes, they can. Well, let's look at, and that's the whole point about the third point, is it has to work in us. We have to become, as he says in verse 14, become imitators of the truth of God's word. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. So to be followers would be imitators. And you've probably heard that imitation is the highest form of flattery. Well, in this instance, I would think imitation would be the highest form of obedience. If I want to imitate Christ, then that's obeying so imitation, could you imagine what a wonderful place this world would be if everyone, and I know this is fantasy to think about it, but it's nice to think about it. What if everyone on the planet believed that God's word was true? What if everyone on the planet wanted to do all they could to follow God's word and it allowed them to work in their life? Could you imagine what a place this would be? Could you imagine no murders, no rapes, no robberies, uh, no sin, everybody would go to heaven, no one would go to hell. We couldn't, we don't have enough churches. You ever think about that? If everyone on the planet decided to start going to church today, we wouldn't have enough churches to hold the people. We'd have to be outside. Wouldn't that be a wonderful, a wonderful thing to have to, to go outside of the doors of your churches, not just Locust Grove, but Every church that preaches the truth, could you imagine? We have too many people in here. We've got to go outside so we can accommodate everyone that has a desire to hear the truth of God's word. And that's how it should be. That's how we would desire it to be. But sadly, that's not the case in the world that we live in. I believe it's a sign of spiritual maturity to be an imitator of Christ. The more we practice, it's like anything. The more you practice, the better you get at it. And if you don't practice it, what happens? You lose it. We should all strive to be more like Christ to, today than we were yesterday. That's how we actively mature in his word. Do you ever, do you think, let me just ask you to ask yourself these questions. Do you strive to be more like Christ tomorrow than you were today? Is that part of your prayer life? when you pray. Now I'll share this with you about myself. Each morning when I'm going to work, I pray and part of the, one of the things I pray for every day is to help me to be more like Christ today than I was yesterday. To help me to mature more is what I'm asking. To overcome more than I was able to overcome yesterday. But do we put much thought toward that? 
And I'm not trying to raise myself up. I'm showing you how weak I am. But do you put much thought toward that? Do I really put a lot of thought toward being more like Christ today than I was yesterday? We should as Christians because that's part of our spiritual maturity that we grow to be more and more like Christ by imitating him each day in our lives. And people will see that. So we can help ourselves and others do that as well as speaking the truth of God's word to other people. Look at verses 14 and 15 with me here. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. What caused that? They were speaking the truth. They were speaking the truth of God's word about who Jesus Christ was to other people. And that's, he's saying that they were forbidden in some cases to speak the gospel, especially to the Gentiles. Why? Why would, you, why would one group want another group to not speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it changed people. It changed people. It changed people to follow the, the, the doctrine of grace of Jesus Christ as Savior instead of the rigid law. And that acceptance was for all, Jew and Gentile. That's why it was taking people who they had considered as dogs and making them heir to the throne. And that's what was stopping them. Now, think about this for ourselves. And this is going to really start making maybe... Maybe, and it, maybe it should make us squirm a little. Have we ever been guilty of not speaking the truth to others because we feel like maybe they didn't deserve that I really don't want them at my church? That's a tough question, Rob. Yes, it is. But it's a question that we must answer for ourselves, too, because, listen, we were in no different condition than that person before Christ. None. The gospel, salvation is for all who will receive it. And if we're not spreading the gospel based on a personal bias, we're doing nothing no different than the Jews were when Paul was writing these letters. So we have to be aware of that, folks. We have to be aware of that so that we make sure that it's available to all people. Anyone that would accept the gospel, speaking the truth of God's word to others. It's our job to witness for Christ. Now, you may be scared to death to give it, and that's okay. But we have a, a testimony. Each and everybody has one anyway. And listen, you don't have to know every detail, every scripture. You don't have to have the Bible memorized in order to give a testimony. Just like the wreck I was talking about a minute ago, you don't have to know the make, model, and horsepower of the car that's involved in an accident to tell what happened, do you? Just what affected you in your life? How has Jesus helped me? How has Jesus helped my family? How has Jesus helped me through this situation? That's a testimony. And it's yours. And it's yours alone. And you can tell that story. And I encourage all of us to do that. To give your testimony. And when you do, you've spoken the truth of God's word. And we must do that as Christians. And then the final thing that we have to do 
Yes, he's almost done. <laughs> Be careful you don't keep the word of God from spreading. Look at verse 16. Forbidding us to speak, and it's talking about this before, what we just read, to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sin always. And listen to that last line. For the wrath is come upon him to the uttermost. Whew. Look at the slide up here. Have you ever thought about this? The most loving act you can ever do for someone is to share the gospel with them. You ever thought about that? The most loving act you can ever do for someone or to someone is share the gospel of Christ with them. That's the kind of attitude and kind of heart that we need to have. I mean, and I'm not discounting helping people in need that need, you know, food or clothing or assistance or something like that. Sure, we all have those needs and we need to address those. But the most loving thing you can do is share the gospel with them. And I got some more statistics for you. Did you realize or are you aware that in 52 countries the Bible is illegal to own or highly restricted? 52 countries. Do you know how many countries there are in the world? 195. That's 27% of the world, 20, a little over a quarter, it is illegal to own a Bible or highly restricted to have a Bible and what you can do with it. A quarter of the world, of countries. And those countries are the highest populous countries as well. So way more on population than it is just landmass, because we're talking about actual countries. China, Russia, and India are all three in those. And with China and India, it's two-thirds of the world population. Now we think about restricting, preventing the spread of the gospel, and that how careful we should be not to do that. Jewish leaders tried to do that, tried to keep the be their best to keep the gospel of Jesus from spreading it. Well, you remember the threats, throwing into prison. Uh, anytime Paul would go in, they would chase Paul around, beat him, run him out of towns, persecuted him. What was he doing? Was he out there terrorizing the villages? No. Was he out there robbing people, tricking people, stealing their money? No. What was he doing? He was spreading the gospel of Christ. That's what he was doing, and that was a crime. And it's still a crime in 52 countries today. You see what I'm saying? It's not a crime here, but there are people in this country that interpret the Constitution to say freedom from religion, and they really believe that in their hearts. That they should be, we should be a nation free from religion. It's been proclaimed that the United States is no longer a Christian nation. Even though that we know where our foundings, the roots are, is in Christianity. We know that. It's trying to be denied. Why would you, why would you deny that a nation is Christian if you did not want to try to stop the spreading of the gospel? If it damaged people, sure. We wouldn't want, if the gospel was called harm to people, you'd want to stop that, wouldn't you? It'd be just like Paul. If Christians were going around robbing and stealing and doing crimes in these cities and these churches where they were worshiping, you'd want to put a stop to it. 
But what Christians should be doing is what Paul was doing and got persecuted for is spreading the gospel, which should never be a crime in any country, much less this nation. But we see people trying their best to make it a crime or to marginalize Christianity, to marginalize, and I'm not just talking about Christianity, they're trying to marginalize the gospel as the truth of God's word. And that's the crime. Jewish leaders tried to do it, and now we see world governments trying to do that as well. And I'm not going to give you a grocery list of how the things that we can do in our daily lives to stop the spread, but I don't want to be judgmental in that. But we should steer clear from ever giving the appearance of trying to hinder the spread of the, of the word. And we should remember that. Because what does it say? Last line. Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Anytime you're talking about God, wrath, and uttermost in one, one section, I want no part of that at all. The wrath of God. And here's the thing about it. Just because people don't believe the Bible is true doesn't mean that they will be exempt from suffering the wrath of God. Period. And that's what we have to understand. There's no alternative to this that I've ever read in the scriptures. There's no clause in there that says, if you don't believe this, you will get a second chance someday. I've never seen that. That's why it's so important that we live out the Bible, just like these people at Thessalonica that he's encouraging. And write them, say, we, we give thanks every day because you all receive that word, and it's doing a great work in you, and you're out there living it, and you're trying to spread it, and you're being persecuted because of your efforts. But you know what? You just keep going. And we're going to keep praying for you. And those that are hindering you, those that are causing you problems, they're going to suffer the uttermost wrath of God. And he's saying the same thing to us today, folks. He's saying the same thing to us. And I'm not trying to pronounce wrath upon anybody. I don't want anybody to have to suffer the wrath of God. But it's their choice. Do we understand that? People talk about God being hateful and rigid and and, and all of this, it's not. That's not the case. It's only the case of people that want God's word to support. Remember that first slide? They don't want the truth. They just want assurance that what they believe is the truth. And God's truth, the ultimate truth, does not line up with that. So what do you do? You try to belittle God. Oh, he's a hateful God. Oh, he's 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 cruel. What kind of God would send someone to hell? The kind of God that says this is truth and if you don't believe it, that's your problem? Is that the kind of God? Because not, God's not going to bend his truth to meet our desires. Amen. We have to make our desires his truth. And that's what I want to encourage everybody to do today. So what we learned, how do we handle the truth as Christians? How should we handle the truth? Well, we've got to receive it and accept it, right? As God's word. The true word of God. Let it work in us. Let it work in your life. Be an imitator of what the truth of God's word is. And in that imitation, speak it to other people. Share your story. Share your testimony. Let your life be an act portraying Christ. I don't mean an act. I mean like a, like a video. Like if I want to see a little bit of Christ today, I'm going to look at so-and-so because they're acting like Christ would act in this situation. And then finally, 
be careful that what we do in our lives does not hinder the spread of the gospel. Be careful that we don't hinder it, but that we promote the spread of the gospel. And be in prayer. I know it's a real popular thing, and, and there's a lot of us really frustrated. But the best thing that we could do for this nation collectively as Christians is pray for our president, pray for our vice president, and all of the elected officials in Washington. Let us all come together as Christians and agree to pray that they would steer this nation in the right direction. That's the best thing we can do. And I want to encourage you to do that. And I think I have support in the scriptures that says that we should do that. So I want to encourage you to do that, but I also want to encourage you to let God's word be effectual in your life. Let it soak in and seep in and let your life be a model of the truth of God's word and not a model of someone on the, like I said, that hopes that what they believe is the truth. Because that's how people despise the word of God. They know that it says one thing and they see a Christian doing something else. And that's why it's so, and that's how we hinder the spread of the gospel. I don't want no part of that. Bible says one thing, so-and-so's doing something else. Now, how's that the truth? Why would I want to be part of that? And they're exactly right. So let us not be guilty of that either. Now, we're going to sing this hymn of invitation this morning. At the cross, number 359. We're going to sing the first and second verse of this hymn. And I want to encourage you, if you have a decision to make, maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. The Scripture tells us that we must accept Christ. We must hear the word and believe the word. Sound familiar from what Paul was writing there? And then once we hear it and believe it, the one way that it works effectually in us is convicts us of our sins. And we're willing to repent of those, turn away from those sins, claim Christ or accept Christ as our Savior, be buried with him in the likeness of his death. And as Jesus said, for the remission of sins, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter said it too. Day of Pentecost. And then once we're raised that new creation in Christ, we continue to let that gospel work effectually in our lives so that people can see it being imitators of Christ. If you've never done that, today is the day I encourage you to accept Christ. Now maybe you're a Christian and you realize, you know what? I've been a lot like that person on that first slide. I've been hoping that what I believe is the truth, that God's going to somehow make that I get to slide in there. There's an exception clause for me. There's not, folks. It's just that simple. There's not. It's the truth of God's word or it's a lie, period. It's black and it's white. We have done an excellent job in this society of creating gray. And the more gray area that's created, you know what's being diluted? The truth of God's word. That gray is the dilution. That gray is the, well, I hope that what I believe is the truth. If you're in that condition, I want to encourage you to come today. We're going to stand and sing at the cross, number 359, first and second verse.